Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Fun weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yesterday was unofficially Gabriel Moreno Day. Still hasn't even been activated, so we're going to string this out into Gabriel Moreno weekend. The Morenium, as someone said in the text line yesterday, uh, please send better texts than that today. You can text in 590-590 throughout the show. Tweet at me, at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, we'll have a little bit of time throughout and especially toward the end as we set up the weekend series against the Detroit Tigers uh, to answer some of those questions. We'll be answering more questions about Gabriel Moreno through the day as well. We've got Keegan Matheson coming on in a little bit here. He co-wrote a really nice story with Julia Kreutz at MLB.com about uh, Moreno's background in Venezuela and how he kind of got to this point in his career. We'll be joined by Maitri Anantharam from Defector to talk about the Tigers side of things and their own Uber prospect who only really homers and hasn't homered in a month. Spencer Torkelson, tough times, tough times in Detroit. We'll have Jeffrey Paternostro on as well, the lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. We'll get his take on Moreno, on Torkelson, on another top catching prospect that Jays will see early next week in Adley Rutschman. Nice little head-to-head for Moreno there uh, between top 25 prospects. It's a heavy prospect weekend. The, and, and the nice thing about this, if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, is it's a nice prospect weekend, but you haven't had to do the thing that the Detroit Tigers and Baltimore Orioles have had to do, at least to that extreme. Uh, you'd already graduated Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and Alec Manoa, and, and you have this nice core of young players, and you also have a top prospect coming up, whereas the Orioles... They do have probably the best system in baseball right now, but they've had to bottom out to get there quite aggressively. The Detroit Tigers, meanwhile, we're going to, I can't wait to ask Jeff Paternostro about this because they have been irredeemably bad for five or six years now, and they barely have an average farm system. And that's even before Spencer Torkelson graduated to the majors and started struggling. So bad times for the Detroit Tigers. They won a couple games this week, though, so don't uh, don't sleep. The Jays did lose one to the Royals. They did lose two to the Minnesota Twins, who were struggling all that not all that long ago. So don't don't count those chickens. It is Gabriel Moreno weekend. He'll he'll get activated at some point this weekend. We spoke to Shai Davidi of Sportsnet.ca yesterday about the Jays' plans, and the only thing that wasn't clear was do they activate him to play Friday? Or did they give him the extra time to get acclimated, uh, to spend a little extra time learning the ropes, getting up to speed ahead of a Saturday or Sunday debut? We'll see. If you missed yesterday, uh, check out the podcast, Blue Jays Talk, wherever you get the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast, rather. Uh, We did have a couple guests on to help us sort through the Moreno thing, tell us a little bit about him. It was a very fun show. Quickly, he's a top 10 prospect. Prior to the season, Fangraphs had him at number 10. Baseball America at number seven, MLB.com at number seven, Keith Law of The Athletic at number six. Um, During MLB Pipeline's updated version, he was all the way up to number four. Quite the return already. Uh, Signed for $25,000 at a Venezuela in 2016. Built up more and more buzz at each successive level. Was the second youngest catcher in all of AAA before getting the call. And since the start of May, he had posted an 858 OPS. That's on-base plus slugging. That's well above average, even in what's 
become a pretty high offense environment in AAA this year, perhaps due to some changes to the balls. Um, Nine walks to 15 strikeouts since the start of May as well, which is a really nice indicator about his approach at the plate. He also stole three bases. Anytime a catcher is getting you stolen bases and controlling the run game on the other side, he threw a 15 of 28 would-be base stealers this year. That's uh, it's pretty good. He can get a little done with his legs as well. Uh, the majority of the, the doubles he may hit are also uh, leg-based because he doesn't have, uh, you know, even really power alley power with any consistency just yet. He's not a guy that projects to hit 20 home runs unless he... You know, it goes through some some body and approach changes over the course of his career. But very good bat-to-ball skill. Very good approach at the plate. And, and he scaled back some of the, I'll swing at a bad pitch because I can hit it rather than wait for a good pitch that I can drive. He's trended in the right direction with that. Uh, I mentioned his ability to control the run game. Get used to the term pop time. You're going to hear that on the broadcast whenever you uh, see Moreno, especially if Arden Zwelling's doing some of the studio stuff this weekend. Arden loves a good pop time, and Gabriel Moreno has one. Keep the texts coming throughout the show. Again, 590-590. You can text about Moreno, about what you're looking forward to, about this weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. If you're going down, it's not that bad a drive. We know that the, the Jays fans turn out well at Comerica Park, which is a beautiful place to see a ball game. Let us know if you're heading down. Uh, let us know your best ways to get to Rogers Center from outside the city so you don't have to write a letter to the mayor asking for more driving lanes in the middle of the summer downtown. Uh, not that hard to go train or subway or other ways into the city. Uh, send your suggestions to... The text line and the Jays front office. We don't need to be uh, doing all that. Um, Dan from G-Town asks, was $25,000 good for the kid or taken advantage of? Um, this is one of those things that, you know, that you could write a whole book on how baseball handles um, the Venezuelan and Dominican Republic prospect market. There is a lot of throw a lot of, throw a lot of small checks around. And if one player to the degree of Moreno ends up being a productive major league or even a, a high minor league guy. That's it's a pretty good profit for the entire system. Um, I will say having read Keegan Matheson and Julia Kreutz's piece on Gabriel Moreno, I would imagine $25,000 at that time was still a pretty significant um, boost to that family. And now that he's on the 40 man and coming up to the major league roster, he'll uh, earn significantly more than that. But yeah, you do need to, recognize from time to time and the MLB probably needs to reevaluate at some point how they handle uh, the international free agent markets. That's a conversation for another day uh, with a larger scope than this one, but good question, Dan from G town. Someone else asked, what's the likelihood of Moreno turning into JP Aaron Sevilla instead of Buster Posey? I mean, it's a it's a catching prospect. We're going to talk to Jeff Paternostro about it a little later and just how hard it is to project catching prospects. So stick around for that. Uh, sorry to the one person who didn't sign their text who's upset about the Spencer Torkelson return in their fantasy league. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know how to make you feel better about that one. I, I just hope it's a it's a keeper league. So if he figures it out, you still get some returns because not so far. Sub 200 average 
hasn't homered in over three weeks now. Let's hope it doesn't go that way for Gabriel Moreno. He might not homer for three weeks, but I don't think he's going to hit sub 200. Let's talk to Keegan Matheson about it of MLB.com. Keegan, how are you, buddy? Doing well, Blake. How you doing? I'm good. Are you, you headed down to Detroit? Are you in Detroit right now? I am not. I, I get a break from uh, beautiful Detroit this weekend. I actually, uh, Detroit is an underrated road city, like down around Absolutely. the park there. It's pretty cool. You've got all the stadiums, good restaurants. They've done cool things with all the architecture and businesses downtown. Detroit, underrated. I'm leading with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I did a, a friend of mine, um, I was in a wedding party a couple years ago, and he's a big Arizona Cardinals fan and had never been to a football game before. Uh, and the Cardinals happened to be in Detroit the only weekend we could do his bachelor party. Uh, so we built the, a Detroit weekend around the Cardinals-Lions game and some golfing uh, a little bit out of the city. And it was it was great. City on the rise. Some very good restaurants. Uh, you got the casino there, if that's your kind of thing. I was going to mention, you can stumble to that quite easily. It's not bad. Yeah. And then you've got Comerica, which is a beautiful place to watch a ball game. So uh, sad to hear that you won't be there, but... Fortune has smiled on you otherwise these last couple of days. And I'm, I'm going to kind of call out a fellow writer thing here. Did you, I believe you were the first one to have the Gabriel Moreno call up news. If you weren't first, you were a close second. Did you stumble into that because of anxieties about, oh man, we have this Gabriel Moreno feature ready to go. I hope the timing works out. Most good journalism is a, a combination of luck and well-channeled anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's no, it's certainly something we had been on and we were, were planning actually to run that Gabriel Moreno feature in the morning, uh, the morning of Thursday, I guess that would have been. So it's, uh, you know, as you know, well, Blake, I'm sure it's uh, ideally you get news or a text from a source at uh, two in the afternoon when you are out and fresh faced and in front of a laptop Sometimes it comes at 9 or 10 at night when you are out for dinner, let's say, and it's, uh, you have to quickly uh, scramble a little bit to get it together. But uh, every once in a while, maybe once every year or two, timing actually works. And uh, it's nice when it does, when it finally bounces your way like that. But, uh, yeah, timing, I, I guess I'm, I'm due for some bad karma on the next one. I'll, no. I'll make a mess of the next one, but no. we'll see. It was nice for once. It was nice, and it was a nice piece that, that you and Julia Kreutz co-wrote at MLB.com about Moreno's background and his path to this point through the Venezuelan system and, and through the low minors up to this point. Um, what stood out most to you? as you went through the process of reporting that piece out about Moreno? You heard from everyone the type of character that he is. And that's something, Blake, that I'm extremely hesitant and have learned to be extremely hesitant to really bite into with any pro athletes. You know, it's happened so often where you will write the story or hear so often, this is a good guy, this is a good guy. And a few years later, you say, oops, no. But there were so many examples of this and so many people in his life who did not need to be saying that, who were telling you that from childhood, from a teenager and from now where he is at 22, has always been the same person. And that's when you do begin to believe in it uh, in terms of Moreno, the people around him in his family. And again, this is not a guy like you mentioned off the top who made five, 10, 20 million bucks off of that signing bonus. You know, making 25 grand, and you know, as we all know, and if you know, listeners don't know, guys in the minor leagues are not making big cash at all. It's not close. The Blue Jays have done more to improve that with their organization, thankfully, but around baseball, that's a problem. 
So this is someone who has stayed who he has always been. And I think that's extremely important to the conversation of bringing him up. And if an organization is bringing up a young player like this, especially a catcher where the mental side matters so much, this is not reading and reacting to balls. This is dealing with pitching staffs. You need to believe in the person as much as the player, especially bringing him into a team that's trying to win and bringing him into the most talented catching position in baseball right now. You really need to trust the heart and the mind of this player. If you're bringing up a flashy top prospect who quietly as an organization, you know, is a hothead or a bit of an idiot or a guy that's on Twitter too much, you're worried. But because of who Moreno is as a young man, I think that's why the Blue Jays are so comfortable with this right now, because it's a, a big moment, but it, you know, from everyone we spoke to, uh, it, it seems like Moreno is someone who has not let this change him. You know, despite all the top prospect hype and despite, you know, the, the lovely opportunity he gets to talk to so many more people like us now. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing to see that transition for, you know, a boy becoming into a man, really, but uh, with all this attention on him. Something else that, that kind of gives me encouragement about his ability to, to figure this out or if the struggles come push through them is he has pretty quickly adjusted at each successive level. He's not a guy who has, you know, eat upon each next step dominated right away. He's had to take some time and make some adjustments and figure some things out. So that gives me some encouragement there as well about, Hey, if this moment is a little too big for him, that's not going to be a long-term thing. It's going to be a blip. When you ask around the, the Jays franchise, and I know you just laid out a really good case about Gabriel Moreno, the, the person and the mental makeup, when it comes to the actual ability to pick up the, the specifics of the game, the handling the pitching staff, the long meetings I'm sure he's having with John Schneider right now as he gets ready to catch his first game, um, is, is there that same level of, of confidence like when we get more kind of tactical with the learning curve? There is. And a lot of that comes from his natural athleticism. And that's a very vague term. But I, I think when we talk about natural athleticism in baseball, uh, maybe Bo Bichette is a good example. His ability to make strange throws from weird angles <laughs> while he's moving, that's about not being robotic. I guess Bichette's swing as well. It, it's about not being married to mechanics and specific checkpoints Moreno, you see that natural athleticism from being an infielder when he was younger. And that's one of the first things that the Blue Jays were really intrigued by back when they, when he was 15 years old, being scouted out of Venezuela and then eventually the Dominican, they put him behind home plate. They said, throw a few baseballs. Let's see how this works. And when they first had him in catcher's gear, I mean, at first, of course, he didn't look good. He was a 16-year-old kid who just got thrown gear on. But by day two, day three, significantly better. When he debuted in the Dominican Summer League, day one of that, not all that comfortable, but really exponential growth defensively through that year. And that's what they've bet on all along, an ability to learn and grow. And like you said, with Schneider and the MLB coaches, that continues at the big league level. I mean, these coaches are in the big leagues for a reason, because they're good. Not everything needs to happen in the minors. So when he's coming up, even to frame it within a couple of different Jays prospects, this is more Alejandro Kirk, who has debuted and succeeded, than perhaps Anarelvis Martinez. Now, if Martinez were to come up, yeah, he might hit seven home runs in a week, but he also might strike out 200 times. You don't know what's going to happen. There is such a high variance. 
But with a Kirk, who was such a high contact bat, you were much more secure in what's going to happen. The power might not be there, but he's not going to completely bottom out. And you can say the same for Moreno, I believe. You know, that comes with an asterisk of prospects break your heart, et cetera, et cetera. But when you are a young hitter who makes contact and takes mature at-bats, that translates quicker. Now, of course, you'd love the power to come, and you know, guys who come up as power hitters have that wow factor. But this should help him at least have his feet underneath him to get started. And he will be able to catch up to high heat. He will be able to handle an MLB slider, given his natural talent, his hand-eye coordination, and his quick swing. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to hit 324 out of the gates like he is in AAA, but it should at least protect him. And I think a 22-year-old catcher in the majors is as big a challenge as I can imagine in baseball, frankly, but he is as well set up as you can. You know, our number four prospect in MLB, that's close to as good as you can get, I guess, at this point. So I, I know the answer to why now is in part because Danny Jansen broke his finger and you need to keep Alejandro Kirk's bat in the lineup at DH a little more often. How tough was the decision for the Jays, though, between giving Moreno the call now in what might be just a short window versus just riding with Kirk and Zach Collins? Yeah, this is, I think, a real vote of confidence in Moreno because how how this is supposed to work is like it is with the Orioles and Adley Rutschman. You're a bad team. You call up a good prospect. Everyone's happy. Whatever. Uh, That's how it happened back in 19 with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and eventually Bo Bichette towards the trade deadline. It's typically the teams at the bottom of baseball who are calling up a top five prospect. But when it's a team like the Blue Jays, that's extremely rare. So this has to be about winning. It's not about him getting introduced to baseball and smiling and enjoying the experience. It's about winning and him contributing right away. So I think that is uh, that tells you a lot about how they view Moreno, that they think he can contribute uh, immediately out of this. Now, it's going to be interesting once Jansen starts to work his way back. But the the boring answer, and I, you know, I love more exciting narratives because I need to write stories every day, but the boring answer is that this stuff always takes care of itself mm-hmm. somehow. And with Moreno, as much as we talked about it through the season, whether he was going to force his way and kick the door down, well, an injury, and then it's an easy decision. You know, so by the time the Blue Jays are looking at Jansen coming back, will there be another injury? Will someone be cooling off? Will there be injuries elsewhere where Kirk becomes an easier DH a few times a week as well, carrying three? Uh, you know, a, a lot of the times these things do take care of themselves, and, and that's why I shy away from the you know, immediately trade one of them, upgrade the roster conversation, because something always happens somewhere else. You know, this is not MLB the show with injuries turned off. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see how this has happened. But again, I think this is the, the Blue Jays very clearly believing he can be part of winning, not just developing, but actually contributing to wins. Well, I'm excited to, to see that. Um, I, I want to ask you about two other names. One who is a similar recent call-up with, with a fun backstory. Uh, when are we getting the Matt Gage feature treatment from you and or Julia over at Jays.com? <laughs> I love it. That, that's going to be our next one. And, and uh Matt Gage is a great story. The family was down there in KC, and a guy who pitched in indie ball, pitched in Mexico, I believe, and coming up as a starter originally, and now a reliever. There are no stories I enjoy more in baseball than the kind of journeyman who eventually figures it out. 
And when we spoke to him down in KC, also a guy who understands that, you know, knows that he is not Gab Moreno or not, not, not Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And is so appreciative of the, uh, the moment. It's, it's fun to see that, but I might have to, uh, I might have to stick Julia on that one, but it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lean into some teamwork. I was actually listening to the show yesterday, Blake, when you were talking to her about the getting the wedding dress, I was there for the moment. This is a beat wow. that does it all together. Let me tell you, we, we write the Moreno story, but I also tag along for the wedding dress shopping. We, we really contain multitudes on the MLB.com Toronto beat. <laughs> I will say, I, so when Eric Kareen and I shared the Raptors beat at the Athletic, I was at his wedding, but I wasn't, you know, helping him try on suits or anything like that. So you guys have it, have it one up. And now I'm doing a solo show, so there's no, <laughs> there's no opportunity uh, for me to do that here. A uh, little more seriously, Jose Barrios takes the hill tonight in Detroit, assuming that that heavy cloud cover over Comerica blows away in time. Uh, Barrios, big, big change in results on Saturday. Career-high 13 strikeouts, uh, a lot of swing-and-miss stuff. What is the biggest thing you're looking for from him tonight early on where you'll be like, okay, yep, this is carried over. Barrios has figured it out. Yeah, I'll be looking for his aggression because the thing that was so strange, Blake, when he was struggling was that it didn't really look like it. You know, if you walked through your living room and the TV was on and you watched six or seven pitches, it looked fine. He was missing by a little bit, but this was not a situation where Berrios was losing the zone and hitting five guys and getting lit up with loud contact. It was being chipped away at and just missing the edges. So I think he's feeling a lot more confident now. I spoke with Jose down in Kansas City uh, coming off of a side session with, with Pete Walker, and, and there was really a lot of conviction. And he kept saying over and over that I'm back to being Jose Berrios. And you could really feel the confidence there with him because this is one of the most consistent starting pitchers really in the sport, in all of baseball, the last five years. And that is very hard to do. You know, he's not the two ERA guy, but he's always the 3.5 ERA guy, which is so difficult to do. So these first two months have been a real outlier for a pitcher who does not have outliers. But I think that 13 strikeout performance was just incredible. And he's obviously found something, you know, physically, yes, but mentally, because he said that same comment over and over, I'm back to being... Jose Barrios and Jose Barrios is pretty darn good. There's a reason he was given all that money. And uh, I think we're going to start to see that rolling. And if that happens with Gossman and Manoa at the top, that is a uh, pretty dangerous one, two, three. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty dangerous weekend, even just with Barrios, Gossman and Stripling going. Stripling obviously had that yeah. nice landing spot at KC and Detroit is somehow an even worse offense than those Royals. <laughs> so uh, good weekend for the Jays pitchers to continue figuring things out. Uh, good weekend for Gabriel Moreno to make his major league debut. Keegan, thanks so much for taking the time and, and urge everyone to check out uh, the feature you and Julia Kreutz did on Moreno uh, and his path to this point over at MLB.com. Uh, thanks for taking the time, buddy. You got it, my friend. We'll talk soon. Keegan Matheson, MLB.com. Again, go check that story out. It, it's been, they've got the, this is how big a deal Gabriel Moreno is, is, you know, I come from a more recent Raptors background and for a few years there, it was uh, a big deal if a Raptors story was on the, say, ESPN main page. Well, the Gabriel Moreno feature has been pasted to the MLB.com main page uh, pretty much all of yesterday and a little bit of today. This is an exciting thing. 
obviously Adley Rutschman was, was a big thing for the Orioles as well. And, and the Jays will see him next week. Spencer Torkelson was a thing for the Tigers. You'll see him this weekend. Uh, Gabriel Moreno getting the call is cause for excitement beyond just Toronto. Everyone loves prospects in baseball. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Paternostro later. He's the lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. We're going to see just how excited he is for a week where the Toronto Blue Jays, despite being 10 games over 500 and very much in the mix for a playoff spot, are kind of prospect central with Moreno against Torkelson and Moreno against Rutschman. Uh, And it's not as if Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Alec Manoa, and that group are finished products by any mean any means a uh, very exciting young team before we get to Jeffrey though, we're going to get a look at the tigers, but more importantly, look at the psyche of tigers fans. They are two ninety eight and four sixty three. That's a three ninety two winning percentage since the start of 2017. And that's with the benefit of playing in the AL central. What have the last few years been like as a tigers fan? That's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. And yes, the ad for the fan morning show includes my voice, and then I come on here. It's arresting to me as well. Uh, Make sure you're continuing to check out the Fan Morning Show. Uh, Some really great stuff there this week. Uh, It was more of a basketball thing, but, uh, well, it was an entirely basketball thing, but Grant Hill was on there this morning. A lot of fun hearing that. Uh, They also had Dan Schulman earlier in the week. We've got a Jays lineup for you if this game takes place. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But I'll spoil it for you here. Gabriel Moreno, not starting. So I'd imagine he's not getting activated just yet. Alejandro Kirk will catch Jose Barrios as he has for a while now and hit fifth. No Moreno, uh, no roster move to speak of yet. So this looks like a Saturday thing, perhaps. The Jays are in Detroit. There is uh, some heavy cloud over Comerica. Here's hoping it clears up. There is also a heavy cloud over most things for Detroit sports fans of late to help us sort through that from defector, my three and on the ROM, my three, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Except for the, uh, except for the heavy cloud. I'm doing well. Thanks yes. for having me. Um, you requested when I asked if you'd like to come on that, that you'd be given 15 minutes for just a deep sigh about Tigers fandom. Uh, I would, I would like to allow you, I'll give you 15 seconds for a deep sigh. I can't go 15 minutes. All right. I'll I'll try keeping it quick. (sighs) So I guess my question is, and and I think I know the answer to this, but you never fully know unless you're, you're in it day to day. I look at what has been going on with the Tigers since 2017, maybe even a little further back, 392 winning percentage in the worst division in baseball. The farm system has only gotten up to like a slightly above average farm system. Are things as bad as they seem from outside? 
Um, yeah, I think so. Like you said, it's it's been slow going, and and you can quibble with when the clock on the on the Tigers' rebuild really started. The last time they were in the postseason was was 2014. Um, so so maybe it was that that 2015 year where they uh, they dealt David Price to the Jays. That's where I always feel like it started. Um, but they did do some some big free agent spending afterwards. So maybe it was a couple years later when they when they traded Verlander and and Justin. In, but any which way, it's been between five and seven years, um, and and we're still at the point where it's uh, it's not looking pretty out there. It, it's certainly not, um, especially on the offensive side. I want to yes. talk to you about Spencer Torkelson in a little bit, but in general, can you remember seeing a, a Tigers offense struggle to this degree? No. No, I I can't. Um, it's it's a kind of cruel twist that the the pitching and and bullpen have been have been really good, um, and they're just not getting any help. So, in terms of Detroit sports in general, you at least have Cade Cunningham. Yes, there there's that. Um, I know that you're a big WNBA fan. I don't know if you followed the team. Like, are you a Dallas Wings fan because they used to be? I, in Detroit? I did not. Uh, no, I'm not that devoted. Okay. Because um, because they actually uh, the Detroit Shock moved twice. They moved right. to Tulsa and then moved to Dallas. And I feel like after after two moves, you gotta. Um, you know, there, there's not much left there. That's uh, fair. So. <laughs> uh, and maybe the Lions will figure some things out. I'm coming to Detroit in December. I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan because in Canada, we just pick random teams and I uh, hate myself. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the NFL sadness bowl, Jaguars at Lions in December. Yes. Are you a Lions <laughs> fan as well? I am, yes. I'm, uh, I am I love all four big Detroit sports teams and... Um, I feel like it's got to get better at some point. I feel um, like... And, and we're just kind of waiting for, for who it's going to be. The funny thing is, you know, I remember being stuck in this, in a long, cold, hard Michigan winter of watching Lions football and, and Pistons basketball and Wings hockey and thinking, you know, the Tigers could be okay this year. <laughs> and... Um, Nope, they're not. Though, I mean, they're by being above 400, they might actually be the best team um, in the city, which is uh, kind of sad. Yeah, and when things are going, it could be fun because I, I've heard April and the D is a magical month. Hey, what's yes, up, Detroit? Yes, it is. It, it April feels... and the D, that magical month when the Pistons, Red Wings, and the Tigers are all playing at the same time. This is my video submission for the Fox Sports Detroit theme song contest. Please vote for me. Check it out. This is the Tigers and Red Wings of mine. It's April and the D. Three Detroit sport teams playing at one time. All Detroit ladies looking oh so fine. Uh, sorry, I had to do that. I know I couldn't remember which season of Detroiters that was from, so I don't know if that's one that you've seen or not, but uh, my three, I'm sorry. I, I had to interject with that. No, I, 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 it feels like a million years ago that, that April and the D was like really big for me. And, um, you know, it was, it was in my lifetime that, that, uh, not the Lions, but the other three teams were all really good at the same time. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to imagine telling a little kid this today. Like, I, <laughs> I promise that the Red Wings were in the playoffs every single year. The Pistons were, you know, won however many straight Eastern Conference finals. I, they were, they were good. Um, and and now I just sound like a crazy person. I, I do have confidence the Pistons are on the right track. I think Kate Cunningham's awesome. I think 
Dwayne Casey is a good guy to kind of rebuild that culture and provide that foundation. Um, you know, if the Pistons just play the Raptors every single game, <laughs> I think they could go 82-0. and You sure could. And it would be <laughs> Raptors fans. It would be mostly Raptors fans at the game. It would be an awkward <laughs> turn for 82 games. Um, things... <laughs> are supposed to be looking up for the Tigers eventually too. If you're if you're shaky for that long, you build prospects and you have guys rise through the farm system. And Spencer Torkelson was supposed to be that guy. And I know very early on when he was called up, there was some real excitement, um, except you, you kind of missed out. Did you not? Yes, I, um, I bought tickets to to go to a game and uh then i just kind of looked at the weather i i took the day off and i looked at the weather and then i i kind of uh flaked out um and then i i ended up missing his his first home run ah. um so just my luck he hasn't hit a ton of them uh at least of late but what how no tiger has <laughs> how how has the Torkelson experience been in general? Is is there still like cause for optimism around his him as a a future kind of pillar of where the Tigers are going? I think so. Both him and and you know Riley Green was also supposed to be in this lineup and and got injured you know right before the season started and and um, you know should be back soon I think. Um, but but I think with Torkelson, there's there's still optimism. Um, he's he's still got a that really you know mature approach at the plate, um, and he, he has this kind of reputation of of being a bit of a, a slow starter. It, it takes him you know. 200 or so plate appearances to to really get going um and and we're not quite there yet so um i i think you know i I think everyone's kind of giving him a pass for now that's and i think that's fine especially as a power hitter you're gonna have some some holes in your swing that teams are gonna try to attack at first um so if we're if we're trying to kind of co-write here the tigers fans guide to being at least a little bit optimistic. You have Torkelson. Riley Green will eventually get healthy. Um, You mentioned the pitching staff has been pretty good. Bo Brisky and Tarek Skubal um, kind of, you know, pushing that rotation to trend in the right direction. What is the the full sell here that just stick with it? The Tigers will move in the right direction soon. I mean, if if it weren't for the offense being so, so historically horrific i think the pitching staff would just be a big bright spot because the thing about the rotation is four of the five starters who are who are supposed to be who are in the opening day rotation are injured um and so they've the the tigers have put together i think they're the seventh best um era in in baseball um and they've they've done it with with one you know supposed to be their starter in in Tarek Skubal. um and have have got a bunch of other guys really punching up above their weight, um, and and speaks to the the real arm depth in the in the system. Which you know that's another reason I think the rebuild has felt so slow going is it's been really pitching oriented, and that's always high risk, high reward, and it's always you know it's going to take those guys longer um but but yeah it's been and and the bullpen has has also been um has been fantastic i think they're they're the the second best uh by era in baseball um so so again i mean it feels like a little bit tragic that that uh all their efforts just seem to go to waste every night it's uh, uh because 
it's a little bit of building, almost building the team backwards where the bullpen's usually the last thing, right? It's And, and yes. if you have a good bullpen, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be selling on Gregory Soto and Alex Lang and Michael Fulmer because they're still youngish. But usually, you know, a team like this, they, everyone's going to be calling to take those bullpen arms away. And then, you know, luck will have it for Tigers fans that the offense will come around next year and they'll have traded away some of the relievers. Uh, that's the way it, it goes sometimes. But you mentioned that how good the starters have been. And this is with, like you said, Michael Pineda on, on the on the IL, Casey Mize on the IL, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, who was their big spend in the offseason and was pretty good on the IL. And you have guys like Scooble and, and Bo Brisky and Alex Fiedo kind of stepping up. We're going to see another one of those guys tonight in Elvin Rodriguez. I haven't got to, I know he's only made four appearances so far. I haven't gotten to take a look at him um, beyond the the numbers. What can you tell us about Elvin Rodriguez heading into tonight? So uh, he sort of infamously got uh, really yes. roughed up by, by the Yankees on Friday. I don't know if you saw that, uh, that video, the John Boy video breakdown, um, gave up 10 runs on, on 11 hits and, and left, uh, I think, after four and a third and, and had to kind of uh, wear it. Um, though it turned out, and, and this is maybe encouraging for him, that it was because he had been tipping. Um, he he had this tell of, of staring toward third before <laughs> throwing fastballs when he was was in the stretch. Um, but, you know, the good news is that the Yankees had a little trouble when he was was throwing from the windup. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard. He's he's only made those three starts. So um, but but he's got stuff and, and you know, I'm sure it just wrecked his ERA. So I don't I don't know what you can uh, what you can really yeah, discern from from the, the record so far. But, yeah, but poor he's, guy. he's better than his ERA. I will yeah, say that everyone is better than that ERA. Like I <laughs> I have a... What is a, it, like 10-something? 10, 10 it's 10-something, yeah. And, and it, it's 10-13, which I can actually say it can get worse. I have a Roy Halladay-related uh, tattoo, and it just says 10-64. <laughs> that was Halladay's ERA before he got sent down to, like, the bottom of the minors to kind of rebuild everything and, you know, rebuild himself from scratch. And eventually he becomes this... Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the best pitchers in Jay's history. So Alvin Rodriguez, you can look at that ERA and it can always, there's always room to, for it to go up. Um, so my three, you're, you're obviously a big Detroit sports fan, but you're, you're also just a big baseball fan in general. Uh, so I want to give a moment here for you. You wrote this fun piece at, at Defector where it was just, Hey, everyone should take, everyone should make a list of, baseball players you just really enjoy watching for whatever reason. And Jay's shortstop, Bo Bichette, was on that list for you. What is it that draws you to Bo and is going to have your eyes on him this weekend? He, he just seems like a cool guy. I think I think I have a, uh, I think I have a thing for shortstops anyway. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you, you know, they, they get to be flashy. So I think they have that, that advantage. They're always, always catching your eye. So, so I'm a, I'm a big Bo fan and, and hope he, hope he sticks around. I, I like the Jays a lot generally. Um, back back when I was a kid, um, I was at a, a Jays Tigers game, and and there was a Jays fan um, sitting near me, and and he caught a ball and and gave it to me and my Aww. brother. And ever since then, I've I've just thought Jays fans were the best people in the world. You 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 could get a lot of goodwill that way. Um, so so last year when when the Jays were in that uh, crazy. Uh, wild card chase and everyone was was on the Mariners bandwagon I was like no I owe it to that guy to 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 cheer for the Jays 
I was in Detroit for a bachelor party a couple years ago, and it was during one of the Jays' playoff runs. I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2016, uh, but I was in a bar watching one of the games, and the bar became like entirely a Blue Jays bar cheering them on. So it is It is nice. I know the, the Raptors and Pistons have a little bit of a friendly rivalry around the Dwayne Casey thing, but it is nice to be able to... Uh, you know, support each other because bo- both of these cities have had some lean years in each sport. Yeah, in in any uh, sporting event, uh, Detroit Toronto games are are my favorite. Oh, that's great. Well, I hope you have a good time this weekend. I hope that cloud cover clears so you can see Barrios against Rodriguez tonight. Uh, bad news: Gabriel Moreno is not playing tonight. Uh, so if you were going tonight, you might have to double back on Saturday or Sunday if you were interested to see the Jays' top prospect up against Torkelson. Uh, my three, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I was my three, Anantha Raman from the Defector, uh, Defector Media. Really fun chat about what it's like to be a Tigers fan right now. It's not the most fun to be a Tigers fan, but it was a fun chat. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we have a Jays lineup. I made you wait for it, but I did tell you Gabriel Moreno is not playing tonight. There's been no roster move. I'd imagine if he's not in the starting lineup, they'll just wait until tomorrow to activate him. If it's going to be tomorrow and he catches Gosman, or if it's going to be Sunday and he catches Stripling, giving him a little extra time. The reason that they might be giving him a little extra time, give him two days to get acclimated, give him a couple days with John Schneider and Pete Walker and, Matt Bushman and whoever he's going to be catching in his first appearance. It's because it's really hard to make the transition to catcher. Uh, Blair and Barker earlier had AJ Hinch on and they asked him, is it harder for a catcher to make this next step? Is it harder when you're coming up at 22 years old into a winning situation as well. Uh, this is what AJ Hinch had to say on Blair and Barker earlier, uh, talking about whether it's harder for a catcher to make the last step from AAA to the majors. It is the hardest position in season. Um, now, the benefit that Moreno will have is is having a couple of spring trainings with these guys, and um, especially this year, you know, Kevin Gosman comes to town, and Brios is, is there, and and, and all the different bullpen staff, the bullpen arms that have come through there, a lot of this stuff's homegrown. A lot of this stuff, it was they were in camp together, and, and there's going to be some familiarity. But getting a getting a catcher, a young catcher specifically, up and running with all the responsibilities that come with, with being a catcher at the big league level, uh, it's a challenge. Now, when you have an elite prospect like Moreno, it, 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 you know, it, can, it can go fine. It doesn't make it impossible, but... Um, there's going to be a lot on this young kid's plate. I, you know, I, again, I would rather them debut him next week <laughs> when uh, when they're done with us because he's a terrific, good looking, good looking young player. Uh, but they'll have they have plenty of experience to to break him in. It's whether it's Dave Hudgens or or, or Schneider or Mark Babzinski, the, the staff there. I I I know really well, and um, he, he'll he'll enter a very comfortable environment. AJ, does it make it harder for a, a catcher to come up uh, with a contending team? And do that um, a little bit. I mean, I, I think in, in general, talent is going to is going to be um, the winning factor here. I think the trust, building the trust with with the players, it, with the pitching staff, is is the number one goal for him. I know everybody's going to race to this kid, and again, it's just my one man's opinion. But we're going to race to the numbers, and we want to watch. I mean, Adley Rushman, uh, uh, Rushman's doing this in in Baltimore, like watching him interact with his pitchers as a manager. I'm more interested in than even the box score. 
he's he's going to get his hits. He's a terrific young player. But um, but if he catches Gosman tomorrow or Stripling on Sunday or um, you know the guys next week, he, he's, the, the building the trust is going to be really important. And most he's going to get judged the most by probably how he hits. And that's what's so difficult about breaking a catcher during the season is what what Charlie's going to want from him and what the fans are going to want from him might be a little bit different. And um, but but you know winning or losing that that game is going to be you know decided. And, and I think the players that are there to win with Bichette and Guerrero having done this tale is a terrific influence. And known for my days in Houston, uh, George Springer obviously. There, there's he's got so much people, so many people around him that'll help him. Um, contending or not, it's going to be fun. That was A.J. Hinch, manager of the Detroit Tigers and a seven-year Major League veteran behind the plate, uh, talking to Blair and Barker earlier about what that adjustment is going to be like for Gabriel Moreno as he transitions from AAA to catching a Major League staff. That's probably a part of why Gabriel Moreno will not start tonight. Uh, again, no roster move yet, so it stands to reason that they wouldn't activate him tonight and have to make a corresponding move just for him to sit on the bench. Uh, he will probably be activated either tomorrow to catch Kevin Gosman or Sunday to catch Ross Stripling. Whichever of those is the case, he's up with the team and is physically in Detroit, gives him a little bit of extra prep time, gives him a day to see what the whole process is like, uh, get to know those coaches again who he obviously worked with in, in spring training, uh, but it's a different ball game at the major league level. So, with Gabriel Moreno not starting, here's what the Toronto Blue Jays looks like against Elvin Rodriguez and the Detroit Tigers tonight. 7 o'clock game, 7-10 first pitch. Uh, Ben Wagner will have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And, of course, that game will be on Sportsnet Television Network as well. Uh, The Jays line up as follows. George Springer in center field leading off. Bo Bichette. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets a DH day, hitting third. Tasker Hernandez. Alejandro Kirk catches and hits fifth. He's become Barrios's regular catcher of sorts, and, and I don't think you want to change much after the outing Barrios had on Saturday. Santiago Espinal plays second and hits sixth. Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Kevin Biggio, the lone lefty in the lineup, batting ninth and playing first base. Uh, Vlad gets to do the DH day and, and have fun in his... Uh, <laughs> Have fun in the dugout as he does during his DH stints. Always a little extra something on the broadcast when Vlad's having a DH day. Someone asked a question in the text line, and you can keep those coming at 590-590 or tweet at me at Blake Murphy ODC. This person didn't sign theirs. Include your name and location so we can shout you out um, because... There's no way that actually 80% of our listeners are from Caledon, but 80% of the listeners who text in and sign their location are from Caledon. We need some non-Caledon stuff in here. Uh, This one asks, where in the lineup can we expect Moreno to be slotted with his bat-to-ball skills? Would the Jays benefit from having Moreno hit fifth in the lineup to drive in those runs? I don't think they'll put him in that high a pressure spot. It would make some sense for lineup stability because Kirk has been hitting fifth pretty regularly. Uh, But if Kirk's at DH a day that Moreno is in a catcher, that's Kirk's slot. I I think he's held that down very well and will continue to. I'd imagine they get him a lower leverage spot in the lineup and he hits eighth or ninth. Uh, I think they probably want him to focus on his duties behind the plate first 
as his primary focus, of course, the the bat-to-ball skill that this listener mentions is real. He hit over 300 at AAA. He can really make contact, and he has a really advanced approach for someone who was the second youngest catcher at AAA this year. Since the start of May, nine walks to just 15 strikeouts. Hit 324 on the season over 36 games with a 380 OBP. Um, you tend to want a little bit more extra base power maybe in the five hole as well. I just think that they'll take the leverage off of Moreno and have him hit lower in the order. We we just heard from AJ Hinch on the Blair and Barker show uh, showing or talking about rather just how difficult this transition can be. And for that reason, I think the old, you know, they're, they're going to tell him that the, the stuff behind the plate is the most important. Uh, our colleague, Arash Madani uh, is in Detroit and posted a video of Gabriel Moreno walking, uh, carrying, carrying his bags out at Comerica park. And not only is Arash filming and one of the cameras, presumably from sports is filming Alec Manoa is out in a tank top and shorts, also filming Gabriel Moreno at Comerica Park. So if you follow Manoa on Instagram, uh, you'll see that on his Instagram story, I'm sure, along with just a smorgasbord of huge meals all the time. If you follow follow Alec Manoa on Instagram, you are probably made secondhand hungry all the time. That dude eats. That dude is also filming Gabriel Moreno uh, showing up in Detroit. But again, he won't start tonight. No roster move yet. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Paternostro next. He's the lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. We're going to get the full look at Gabriel Moreno. We're going to talk more philosophically what it's like to try to evaluate a position where the attrition rate is so high and how it's tough to project catching prospects in general. Gabriel Moreno is going to go head-to-head with another top-catching prospect next week at some point, Adley Rutschman. Uh, We'll talk to Jeffrey Paternostro, lead prospect writer of Baseball Prospectus, next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Happy Friday. It's 4 p.m. We got a big Toronto Blue Jays roster move for you. Andrew Vasquez, right ankle sprain to the 15-day IL. Recalled from AAA Buffalo. Jeremy Beasley, extra arm in the bullpen. Gabriel Moreno, still not in the mix. He is in Detroit. We have video evidence, courtesy of Rashmadani, courtesy Alec Manoa of Gabriel Moreno in Detroit at Comerica. I would imagine the fact that the Jays announced a roster move and not Gabriel Moreno means uh, we're going to wait till tomorrow to activate him. We know Alejandro Kirk is starting and hitting fifth, catching Jose Barrios, who's he's been pretty regularly attached to anyway, buys Gabriel Moreno an extra day or so to get acclimated and 
get comfortable with whoever he's going to catch in his debut, whether it's Kevin Gosman tomorrow or Ross Stripling on Sunday. We heard from AJ Hinch, manager of the Tigers and a former catcher himself a little earlier about the difficulty in making that transition. Someone who knows a lot about what it takes for a catching prospect to translate and just how high the attrition rate is for prospects at that position is Jeffrey Paternostro, lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. Jeffrey, how are you, man? Doing well. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Uh, Exciting time here in Toronto for Gabriel Moreno to be getting the call while the Jays are in a a winning situation. They're they're playing pretty well. It's not all that often you get a top five, top ten prospect called up uh, into a situation like this. Were you a little surprised Moreno's getting the call this early? A little bit, especially because of what you said. This is a team uh, in a playoff position, certainly with playoff aspirations, and a veteran pitching staff. So putting a rookie catcher into there is a little bit of a baptism by fire. He's going to have to learn how to how to manage what's a, what's a very good and very veteran pitching staff sort of on the fly while trying to figure out how to hit Major League Pitching, which is uh, going to be a new challenge in and of itself. When you wrote up the Jays' top prospects uh, at, as a team at Baseball Prospectus, but you had Moreno's uh, blurb, um, you said that you wanted to see a little bit more sample out of the bat because it hadn't been a huge sample at, at the higher levels. He played 36 games at AAA this year, uh, hit pretty well, slash 324, 380, 404 over 36 games. Has that... Has his ability to hit at that level and his upward progression over the course of the season um, convinced you a little bit more of this bat's ability to translate? I think so. Every at-bat in the upper minors helps sort of prove that. And there was certainly a scenario where he doesn't get hurt last year and it was kind of a freak injury where he's up at the end of last season and it's it's, it's fait accompli that he's one of the best prospects in baseball and in the mix for opening day, if not soon after. It just, it didn't work out that way. And he's had some injury issues here and there over the course of his career. And you had an elbow injury a few weeks ago, got hit by a pitch. So, you know, you're going to get banged up as catcher. The thing that's actually been heartening for me more than the backs, I always thought he'd hit. It's, it's a weird swing. It's very noisy. He's going to have to adjust to to major league off speed, sort of the better breaking balls he's going to see going down and away from him. But that's true of every prospect. What's really sort of crystallized for me this year is two things. He's improved as a defender. Uh, he's always been a little, he's a very good athlete. He's very flexible back there. But the bread and butter for catcher defense uh, nowadays, certainly, and really since, you know, going back even before you could quantify it, is, is receiving, is catcher framing. And that's a skill that, you know, he's, it's been a little below average. He's a little snatchy. He doesn't really be the most quiet receiver in the world. Now, this was true of Danny Jansen. This was true of Alejandro Kirk in the upper minors. And they both have improved, and they're both above-average defenders. So it's not impossible that Moreno can, can learn that on the job, although there's obviously a lot of other things going on that he has to deal with <laughs> as well. The other thing for me is he was a, he's a smaller-framed guy, a little slimmer than you normally see for a catcher. And I was a little worried last year sort of about the physical rigors, even beyond sort of the injuries he's had, just trying to catch four or five days a week how that would wear him down over the course of his season. The frame's a little sturdier this year. He looks a little bit, looks a little more apart physically. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the everyday catcher given how good Kirk's been this year, but Kirk's also a guy that DHs a couple days a week, so there will be playing time. I'm just excited to 
to see the kind of adjustments you can make in the majors. And frankly, just adding another young upside-laden potential impact bat to a very fun lineup core in Toronto. Yeah, it is a lot of fun, and it is pretty young. Kirk's still just 23. I forget sometimes because this is his third partial season. Uh, that That's a guy that saw very little minor league time and kind of forced his mm-hmm. way up from the the camp during the, the lockout-shortened year. Um, you mentioned that Moreno may not be an everyday catcher right now because of Kirk's presence. Longer term, with his athleticism and body type, I can't remember if this was a part of your blurb or just in the baseball prospectus notes, but it was noted that maybe the, you know, the high upside outcome for Moreno sees his bat strong enough that he bounces around the diamond a little bit to keep that bat in the lineup. Is that something you could see happening for him longer term, especially if the Jays have uh, this surplus of young catchers? Yeah, they had talked about playing him at third around the time of his injury last year. And I think he got a game or two there and played there some in, Arizona Fall League as well. He's pretty much been a full-time catcher in AAA this year, which is interesting to me because you would think that would kind of be a time where you'd start to want him. You know, he's close to the majors, and you might want to find ways to get his bat into the lineup, sort of familiarize him. But he also needed the catching reps is the Mm -hmm. other thing, given the time he lost in, in 2021. So it's a tough needle to thread in a lot of ways from a developmental standpoint. I do think you can see him some time at third base. Uh, I still have him as above average runner. I don't know how long that's going to last. So he might be able to play a little corner outfield as well, too. Obviously, that's an organization that values defensive flexibility in, in all around the diamond. So I think maybe you know, a day a week. I don't know if they'll do it right in his first call-up because of the sort of amount of things he's going to have to deal with when he's catching, however many days a week that is. And so to bring it back to your first question, I think the reason they called him up is the flip side of you know being a tough situation with them being in a playoff race they're in a playoff race you gotta at a certain point you just have to call up the the best player for the job and even if he's only playing two or three days a week if he's the best guy he's got to be the guy in terms of him being the best guy uh you, you mentioned a couple of the things at the plate but the thing that stood out to me most and and you know i i've watched a couple of bison's games but not every one of those. So I, I'm going off of stats and people like you to some degree. Um, but to me, what really stands out, and I mentioned it a couple times today, since the start of May, nine walks to 15 strikeouts for Moreno. And the stolen base stuff is nice. It's I'm going to create a new metric where it's like net stolen base percentage, where uh, he's 100% stealing bases and he's throwing out 51% of runners. So he's like really 154, uh, 151% uh, or whatever the, the numbers work out to. Um, but how when when it comes to readiness at the plate, even with that noisy swing you mentioned, that plate discipline or the the approach that that sort of strike out the walk profile hints at, how much of a factor is that for you when you're trying to? And this could be about Moreno or just in general, uh, a guy's readiness to make the next step. So it's important. You want a good approach, and we call them swing decisions is the industry term, which isn't strictly strike zone control because there are some strikes you shouldn't swing at, and there might be some balls you can hit situationally, you know, depending on sort of the ins and outs of your swing. He's a guy, he likes to swing. He's aggressive. He, he, up until this point, and really even through double A and triple A, it's noisy, it's busy, it's... The bat speed's a blur and the hand-eye is so good. He can probably hit more pitches than he should be swinging at, which is fine in the minors, but 
that can get exposed a little bit in the majors. So the fact that he is starting to have more of a approach and be willing to take a walk, I think is important. Now, he's got to prove that when guys challenge him in the majors with good stuff in the zone, he can hit it. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think there's going to be some swing and miss there against better off speed. Again, breaking balls moving down and away. But you simply cannot replicate the kind of you know sliders and curveballs you will see in the majors night in night out in triple a you know you might see a quality major league breaking ball a few times a week so that's always an adjustment and that's an adjustment for everybody and we've seen good prospects undone by that you know jared kalenic has certainly had a huge problem with you know breaking balls below his swing plane in the majors and he was a guy that you know offensively was at least the equal of moreno probably even better given the given the power projection there so he is going to have to, you know, learn to, again, learn to lay off the good slider down and away or be able to hit the one that catches a little too much of the plate. And that's going to be an adjustment. And again, it's a tough thing to do, not playing every day. And it's a tough thing to do when you also have to manage a pitching staff day in and day out as well, which is one of the reasons we see such a such an attrition rate, especially offensively for catchers. That's the thing is that it's just a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of, uh, stuff to deal with day in and day out and there's only so much you know capacity you have while also trying to deal with the best pitchers in baseball at the plate so when you talk about that attrition rate at the position and you're sitting down with your you know your top 100 list or the top 10 in an org and you're you're comparing kind of apples to oranges because catchers are their are their own unique thing developmentally that high variance at the position that high attrition rate how does that come out in the wash for you? Is that Does that make you more cautious about putting a catcher high on the list? Or does it go the other way where if you're confident in a catcher, you got to rocket them up the list because it's rare for a catcher to, to have all, all those tools working? Basically, what, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you guys had uh, Moreno at 22 heading into the season. You had Adley Rutschman at number two. We're going to see both of those guys next week against each other. Um, what... How, how do you just handle as a prospect person that uniqueness of the catcher position? So we ranked a lot of catchers last year, and it's not something I'm particularly comfortable with because, you know, Joey Bart was the number two overall pick, just got optioned back to the minors. We've seen, you know, you mentioned Adley Rushman. You know, Matt Wieters is probably the most famous example of this. And look, yes, Matt, Matt Wieters a really good career, multiple-time All-Star, but he was the ranked number one prospect in baseball. When you say number one prospect in baseball, you're thinking Ronald Acuna, you're thinking Vlad Guerrero Jr., you're thinking Wander Franco. You're not thinking Matt Wieters in terms of like career outcomes. Obviously, uh, Franco especially, and, and Vlad are still in early days for their career. But, you know, Andrew Jones was a former uh, number one overall prospect too. Like, that's the kind of outcome you're dreaming on. And look, you know, Justin Upton was too, and Justin Upton had a great career. But, you know, Matt Wieters feels disappointing in a way, but but he, I don't think anything there was particularly unforeseeable. It's just the risks here are so great and the physical demands of the position are so great that, you know, these guys don't have particularly long peaks, they don't have particularly long careers. And the ability to actually find a catcher who is both plus defensively and plus at the plate is incredibly rare. Like, there's only a few of them at any given time. So anytime a catcher gets ranked like this, you know, someone like Adley Rushman, you know, someone like Moreno, you know, you're thinking of, 
JT Realmuto, you're thinking of Buster Posey, you're thinking of Brian McCann, but very often, like something has to give over the long haul with these kind of prospects. And like we're we're seeing it with Adley a little bit to an extent. It's sixty something plate appearances. I'm not particularly worried. I had a team guy ask me, when do we start worrying about him? I'm like, look. Talk to me after 300 plate appearances. I don't even think, think that's going to be positive one way or the other, but you can't do it after what's functionally, functionally two or three weeks of baseball. I don't think you should do that with Moreno either if he struggles out of the gate. But the flip side of it is you got to start 30 catchers. Like every team has to start a catcher. And if you get one of the good ones, and I don't know, there's maybe five or six of them at any given time, you're so far ahead of the game. And look, Toronto, like Alejandro Kirk, you know, we ranked him on our on our national list. We had him at 101 one year. But I I, I, did, I don't think we ever really thought the defense was going to get there, and it has. You know, Danny Jansen is another guy who he never really has had the season where he's hit for long periods of time, but he's turned into a very good defender. You know, and again, they traded Riley Adams, who has turned into a, a, a useful major leaguer in Washington. So... You know, getting another another catcher in here. You never have too much catching, I guess, is really what it comes down to because, you know, Alejandro Kirk could take a foul ball off his wrist uh, two days from now and all of a sudden Gabriel Moreno's got to step in and be the everyday guy. Yeah, that that's part of the, the position scarcity thing is everyone looks to, well, you have three catchers. Should you, shouldn't you trade one? And it's like, yeah, in the right deal. But otherwise, it's not. If you're going to have surplus at any position, that's the one to have it at. Uh, I don't want to stray too far off Jays, but... I, Curious of, to, as to your take on Spencer Torkelson, not not just in general, but you just mentioned that for a catching prospect, maybe you're looking at, or in Adley Rutschman's case, and Rutschman's two years older than Moreno, so maybe Moreno mm. has an even longer sample that you want to see. You said 300 plate appearances. Torkelson, though, is... He's he's closing in on 200 plate appearances here, but he's a first baseman. He doesn't have the yeah. same <laughs> level of defensive demands and learning curve and stuff like that. Do you start to worry with someone at an easier position on the defensive spectrum earlier than you would for, for a premium defensive prospect? Yes. You have to dig into it too. Obviously the offensive demands are higher, but his offensive production, he's got a longer track record of production, you know, even going back to a major college program at Arizona state. And he certainly hit in the upper minors uh, last year. So, I, again, the funny thing is once these guys get to 130 at-bats, they just kind of, they're gone from my mind because that's just <laughs> the way it's got to be. But I, you know, when I rank and Spencer Torkelson, when I rank anyone in the top five and they don't get off to a good start, you know, I'm just going to take a little look and see what's going on. Because, <laughs> you know, one thing for me to, you know, if things do go wrong, to, to learn why they did for the future, but also just, to, you know, there's, a, I have some skin in the game. And... There's nothing here that's really super concerning that stands out as like, oh, like with, with Kalanick swing and miss. He has a, you know, a 20, a mid 20, mid to high 20s K rate. In 2022 baseball, if you can hit for power, that's not a big deal. Um, and he's been hitting the ball reasonably hard. Not as hard as you would have hoped given the, you know, the plus plus, you know, 30 home run power potential there. The thing that stands out to me with, with Torkelson is just he's hitting too many balls on the ground right now. And that's, you know, the, the, those don't go for extra base hits. He's not really pulling the ball for power. Like most of his home runs have gone pull side, but he's not consistently pulling the ball for extra base hits. He's not pulling the ball in the air well. So if you want to compare him, this is a not a great comp. This is a guy with premium defensive value. But 
someone that's in that general range for strikeouts would be someone like Jazz Chisholm. And Jazz Chisholm hits the ball in the air way more than Spencer Torkelson does and hits the ball a little bit harder than Spencer Torkelson does. And he has 10 home runs and Spencer Torkelson has four home runs. And that's a, that's a big difference in overall offensive value before even getting into the defensive stuff. So I guess the question posed by that is, is that fixable? And I think it is because that kind of like swing plane and like contact profile stuff I think is easier to sort out. That's something where you got to sit down with video or a hitting coach. And obviously he's been able to, to lift the ball in the past. He had really good fly ball rates in the minors. So there, there's something else going on here. And if you break it down by hitch type, I mean, he's not hitting for power on anything, but um, he's not like his swinging strike rate against breaking balls is not great, but it's not awful. You just want to see him lifting the ball more pull side because that's going to be his game. And it's going to be covering that inner half, getting, you know, sitting fastball, being able to drive fastballs to left center field and, you know, hitting 30 home runs this season. There were some warning signs here in terms of maybe it's not like a 280, 300 hitter that we saw in the upper minors. There's some, some strikeout risk here, but I, I am both worried because I didn't done it yet and, not worried because there's no glaring red flag here yet. Right. And the, the the launch angle stuff, the the ability to lift the ball can come and go. We've seen that a lot here mm-hmm. in Toronto with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where he's yep. in another stretch right now of, of beating a lot of stuff into the ground. And when he does hit it in the air, it's like 115 miles an hour, and it's, it's a no-doubter. It just isn't happening uh, a lot. Jeffrey, I want to give you a couple quick hits from the, the Jays system, if I may, before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Baseball prospectus has been, in recent history, slightly higher on Jordan Groshans than maybe some other places. Uh, mm-hmm. Where does he fit for you in terms of, of timeline and where he ultimately lands defensively? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, he had the injury to start the year and is uh, just getting his legs under him in AAA. He, for me, I've always liked him. We had good reports out of the, the Midwest League, and then obviously there wasn't a season, so you just kind of you kind of roll that forward, barring any uh, exculpatory information one way or the other. And then I saw him last year in AA, and I was like, okay, this is good. Like it, It's good. It's not a sure shot shortstop. He's another guy that hasn't really, hey, it looks like he should hit for power, but hasn't really hit for power. He got into one when I saw him. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, they, just do that more. And, you know, he's been hitting well in in AAA so far, though, again, not hitting for a ton of power. I don't know where he fits. Uh, and that's, in some ways, a good problem to have because there's no obvious infield spot for him, especially with the the emergence of, of Espinal. So it does sort of be like, all right, um, you can just wait and see. Like, would, you know, if, if Boba Shett pulls a hamstring... Next week, could he be called up and play shortstop for them every day? Yeah. Uh, he's not going to be as good as Boba Shad, who I love. But <laughs> I think he's about as, as major league ready as you could ask for. He's got 400 and something plate appearances in the upper minors. He's hit in all of them. It's just, I don't know if it's an impact talent anymore. You know, a clear plus regular, and then you know that's fine. You know, he's a, a guy that can 
probably play some different positions around the infield. I mean, you could try him in the outfield, I guess. I think he was reasonably fast when I saw him. And, you know, is that a... He would start, I'll put it this way. I think he would start for a lot of teams. I don't know if he's starting for the Jays in the near future. That's fair. That's a, But that's a good thing. That that means the, the bar is high in Toronto, <laughs> and, and it means that, you know, you can pull from... I know they have a lot of org depth at, at what you guys kind of call, like, backup middle infielder types or, or backup utility men or whatever. Um, and, and that's an organizational position of strength. But those mm-hmm. those guys are all, if the guy's not going to start for you and he's going to start for someone else, that means there's a little bit of arbitrage there in terms of, of what a trade might look like. Uh, one more for you. He's a guy who's making his way back now at AAA. He's made two appearances, was still on your top 10 Jays prospects list before the season. Is Nate Pearson still a guy for you or is he in full? <sighs> is he in full? You got to show me before I, I consider you again mode yeah i at a certain point it's you gotta throw like so the problem with pearson specifically and i loved him as a prospect is that past a certain point of injury you have to show me what the major league role is because even as a you know back in in 2019 when he was still a full-time starter there's always a question of like okay what is you know what is this as a is this actually a starter? Maybe it's a closer. It's closer stuff. It was, you know, I remember seeing him at Futures and it was like 99 to 102 with a wipeout slider. I'm like, yeah, that, that's, I can close for anybody. Let's see if he can start. And then he came up in 2020 and the stuff looked all right. And the breaking ball especially looked pretty good, but it was like 95, 96, 97. He never really had his top end velocity. And then he got hurt and then he got hurt again. And then you start to wonder, okay, He's probably not a starter at this point just because of the, the durability concerns. You know, you, you really can't pencil him for whatever you consider a starting pitcher nowadays, whether it's 150, 160 innings, 180 innings. It's certainly not 200 anymore. But now it becomes like, okay, can he get? Can he pitch back-to-back days? Can he get up and down? Is he actually still throwing 100 in short bursts? And these are all, you know, I think unanswered or unanswerable questions until we, we see a longer track record of health, which is unfortunate because when he was on, he was one of the the most fun arms in the minors to watch. Right. And, and hey, he's had a, a couple decent appearances out of the pen here at AAA. Maybe he can add a long arm to the Jays' bullpen at some point. He comes off the 60-day IL. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. I uh, love all your work as lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. I uh, appreciate the insight on, on Moreno, on the Jays system, and, and on the difficulty of your job, especially when it comes to catchers. Uh, thanks for having me. We'll have to chat uh, Ricky Tiedemann soon because yes. he's going to be way up on our uh, Yes, I was going to ask you who the biggest rising name is in the system, it's and then Ricky I realized yeah. Yeah, I realized I kept you too long. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. We'll definitely bring you back on to, to get the Ricky Tiedemann hype train going. Uh, Jeffrey Paternost- Paternostro, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. See you soon. Jeffrey Paternostro, lead prospect writer at Baseball Prospectus. Some great insight there onto the catching position why so many catching prospects just don't turn out or or turn out to be okay guys behind the plate. There's a lot going on. Like Jeffrey said, if you had, if you end up with one of the, you know, he said five or six, but let's even be generous to say one of the 10 good catchers in the majors at any given time, you're ahead of the game. If any of you play fantasy sports, fantasy baseball, you know how, thin it is at the catching position where even in a thinner league, if you got to start one catcher, which you always do, 
there aren't that many of them that that hit at a plus level. The Jays have a couple right now, and it's fun. Less fun is the fact that more videos and pictures are coming out of Gabriel Moreno at Comerica Park. And in the background of those, there's a tarp on the field. I don't like that. We got a couple hours for that to clear up, though. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go through the Jays lineup again. We'll go through the Tigers lineup for lefties against Jose Barrios. And we'll we'll tee up Jose Brios against Elvin Rodriguez as a pitching matchup. And we'll go a little bit through the the probable pitchers for the weekend. Kevin Gosman again Bo, against Bo Brisky on Saturday. Ross Stripling against Tarek Skubal on Sunday. We'll be back on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 the Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. If you're listening on the podcast, you can't hear the music. Uh, that was a song called No Problem by a band called Career Day. Right across the lake from us check them out they got new music coming uh very good group of dudes and big uh toronto adjacent sports fans will say we can make them honorary uh sports fans for everything except hockey i think i believe they're big islanders guys uh again that's career day um if you are curious about the music we play coming in there's a playlist over on spotify uh on my spotify i'm at e blake murphy on there or you could just search jay's talk plus and I just put all the songs there that we play on the way in. A lot of times they're specific to the guests, but there's no guest this segment. So it's just me, and I just pick whatever song that I want. Earlier we had the White Stripes because we had a guest from Detroit. We had a terrific uh, little Tim Meadows, uh, April in the D song from the show Detroiters, which is uh, I can't recommend highly enough if you need some lighthearted uh, and kind of sweet comedy and a Kevin Nash appearance here and there. Shout out to Big Diesel. The Toronto Blue Jays have made a roster move. It does not involve Gabriel Moreno, as you may have hoped. Andrew Vasquez is off to the IL with an ankle sprain and Jeremy Beasley is up. But Gabriel Moreno is in Detroit. We've seen video evidence. We found out from Mitch Bannon of SI.com that Moreno is going to wear number 55. If you are a Jays fan, you know what number 55 means for the catching position. That is the number of Russell Martin. Moreno wore 23 at AAA. This, to me, I don't know. It's It tells me he knows. He knows what's up. He knows what the catcher position has looked like in recent years in Toronto and Canadian baseball. It's got to be a nod and a wink to Russell Martin. I would think maybe he's always wanted 55. I don't know, but 23 is available. No one's worn it since Jacob Barnes. If I'm, unless I'm forgetting someone who's wearing 23 right now and isn't on uh, the main roster. Maybe someone on the 40 man has it claimed or something like that, but you change numbers. That's uh that's with a reason. And he's going with the Russell Martin number that you, you like to see. We've heard a ton the last two days about what Gabriel Moreno is like 
as a person and, and as a quick study. And it's part of why, you know, when we talked to Julia Kreutz or, or, Gabe, or Keegan Matheson from MLB.com, when we talked to Shai Davidi from Sportsnet.ca, all these people who have spoken to the people around Gabriel Moreno, it's a lot of, well, this guy gets it. And not only is he a good person that people want to root for and get behind, but he's a quick study. There's nothing that tells me you're a quick study as a Toronto baseball player than wearing Russell Martin's number from behind the plate. He becomes the 10th Blue Jay, the ninth Blue Jay to wear number 55. Glenn Adams, John Cerruti, Paul Menhart, Bill Risley, Dwayne Wise, Josh Johnson, Brad Glenn, and Russell Martin. Quite the list there. <laughs> Let's hope he's more on the, the Russell Martin side than the Brad Glenn or Glenn Adams side. Not that I have a ton of memory of Glenn Adams who played for the Jays well before I was born. I remember Brad Glenn, though. I remember Josh Johnson. Let's hope this one's more the the Russell Martin type. Again, Gabriel Moreno will not be activated tonight from the sounds of it. Ben Nicholson-Smith is down in Detroit and says that the, the plan is, the expectation is he'll be activated either tomorrow or Sunday. You can be with the team without being activated. So he gets to learn the ropes a little bit, see how things are done and get a little extra prep work in, whether it's with Kevin Gosman for tomorrow or whether it's with Ross Stripling for Sunday. We heard from AJ Hinch a little earlier on the Blair and Barker show, uh, which you could check out on the Blair and Barker podcast as well. AJ Hinch is the manager of the Detroit Tigers. He also spent seven years in the majors as a catcher and spoke to the difficulty of that adjustment from AAA to the majors. So it's not entirely surprising that the Jays are, they're not taking it slow. Moreno is one of just four catchers that Jays will have brought up at age 23 or younger. Alejandro Kirk, Guillermo Quiros, Carlos Delgado, and now Gabriel Moreno, uh, Arash Madani, our pal reporting that he's expected to catch Kevin Gosman tomorrow in Detroit. 410 start. Ben Wagner with the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network. There you go. Kevin Gosman. There's a question in the text line. Chris from Pepperlaw. Chris asks, how difficult or what effect does having a new young catcher have on the pitcher? It's a tough one to answer because it's it's unique pitcher to pitcher. There are some types. We know Hyunjin Ryu is a, is a tougher guy to catch. We've heard catchers talk about that. We had Danny Jansen on the fan morning show during the offseason, and he kind of walked us through how he became Ryu's so like what basically his personal catcher. Uh, we know Josh Tolley had a, a roster spot in the majors for a really long time to catch R.A. Dickey. It's not, I think it was Doug Mirabelli was the, was the Tim Wakefield catcher. It's not always that specific. In the case of Gossman, you, you hope that because he's a veteran guy, because he's been around that you can, that he can help with that learning curve. I think the big challenge for Moreno with a guy like Gosman, at least how the last two starts went for Gosman is if Gosman is able to get that splitter down in the zone a little better, can you frame it? Can you steal a strike here and there or, or not give away a strike at the bottom of the zone? Because that's pretty important to how Gosman deals when things are going well. 
The last two starts, it hasn't mattered as much. Minnesota Twins seemed like they either knew what was coming or, or were guessing very well and laying off anything low, especially with two strikes. We talked about that a lot earlier in the week. Joe Siddle was on with us on Tuesday, and Joe was kind of at the forefront of, I think he's tipping. We'll see how he bounces back tomorrow, and we'll see how Gabriel Moreno calls the game for him. Again, Arash Madani providing the information for us that Moreno is expected to debut tomorrow and catch Kevin Gosman. Not activated as of yet, so Zach Collins remains. It's also possible they could option down another pitcher. They are carrying an extra pitcher right now, uh, but given how taxed the bullpen has been in general, my guess is it's Collins going down. We'll see tomorrow. Moreno's not getting the start tonight, as I mentioned. Um, the Jays are lining up like this to face Elvin Rodriguez of the Tigers. George Springer leads off in center field. Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting the day at DH so he can, I'd imagine, engage in some nonsense with Gabriel Moreno in between innings. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez hits fourth. Alejandro Kirk catching and hitting fifth. Santiago Espinal, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Kevin Biggio, the lone lefty in the lineup, will hit ninth and play first base. The Tigers going with four lefty slash switch hitters against Jose Barrios. Robbie Grossman leads off. Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera at DH, Austin Meadows, Javier Baez, Harold Castro, top prospect Spencer Torkelson hitting seventh and playing first base. Tucker Bernhardt catches and hits eighth, and Derek Hill rounds it out in center field. Couple updates just around these two teams. Detroit got Austin Meadows back this week. He's, he's in the lineup. Uh, Candelero hit the IL in the corresponding move. We don't have an update yet on uh, Tim Meza, who threw Wednesday in a game for the Buffalo Bisons. Didn't look great. Got hit pretty hard. But he's on his way back. Uh, nothing new on Ryu. Nothing new on a timeline for Danny Jansen. In terms of the bullpens, both of these teams are coming off of an off day. So you like the chances of, of getting your key bullpen arms. On the Jays' side, they had a heavy bullpen day on Wednesday because Yusei Kikuchi didn't get out of the first. Jimmy Garcia and Trevor Richards are the only ones, though, that have what you'd call a heavy usage over the last extended period, four or five days. So everyone, I'd imagine, is available and some of your key arms, most of your key arms are very available. On the Tiger side, they're also coming off an off day. Gregory Soto had been pretty overworked, uh, a little bit rare, but the Tigers were winning some games. So he actually had games to save. Uh, he's had two saves and, and a loss over the course of four days. Uh, so he's been pretty heavily used. Otherwise, the, the Tigers bullpen looks in pretty good shape. If you're not familiar with Elvin Rodriguez... Well, no one can blame you. He's made three major league starts. He's made four appearances. Uh, he wasn't, he's a bit of a non-prospect in the Tiger system. Uh, my three Anantha Ram from Defector gave us a little bit about Alvin Rodriguez earlier in the show. He has an inflated 10-13 ERA. I mean, it's not inflated, it happened, but the Yankees took him for 10 runs. Uh, he was tipping his pitches in a very funny way, looking at third base before he threw his fastball. And the Yankees picked up on it and teed off on it. Elvin Rodriguez, 24-year-old righty, 
solid secondary stuff, but not an elite fastball. And that makes it tougher for that secondary stuff to play up. So he had a 357 ERA at AAA, but the component stats underlying that weren't as strong uh, because he was walking a lot of batters and, and he misses only an okay number of bats uh, for strikeouts. That 10-13 ERA at the major leagues is over three starts and one relief appearance. He did have a good four-inning start against Cleveland before the Yankees tattooed him. What the Jays are looking at here is, again, he's a righty. He throws a fastball about 52% of the time. It comes in around 93 miles an hour on average. It does have a good spin rate to it. And what that means, uh, a high spin rate with a fastball, is it's going to be that type of fastball that looks like it's rising on you rather than having that sink to it. Uh, the problem with this fastball, other than it only being 93, is that it has caught a lot of the plate so far in the majors. It's been hammered. He needs that fastball to set up his change up the lefties and his curveball the righties. Both of those from the prospect groups, those were projected to be plus pitches, but the fastball limits their effectiveness. You can kind of sit on the changeup or the curveball and catch up to the fastball if you guess wrong. The changeup and the curve, he also, I don't want to say tips that they're coming, but he uses them almost exclusively outside, at least over his first four appearances here. So if you're a Jays hitter, you get a fastball that's not elite and catches a lot of the zone, and you get kind of a warning if a ball's coming to the outside part of the plate, that it's either the off speed or the breaking. Now, if it's breaking well, you might find that information out a little too late. He also throws a slider. It's been his best pitch in a small sample. Uh, it actually comes in slower than his changeup. So if his fastball's working against lefties, he's got this nice fastball slider changeup mix. But that requires you to not tip your fastball. Uh, it requires you to tunnel them pretty well and not be as predictable with his locations as he has been. The Blue Jays have never faced Rodriguez. None of them have at the, at the major league level. Again, he's a rookie. Uh, the Jays in general, though, against right-handed pitchers who throw fastballs in Elvin Rodriguez's tier of velocity, you're looking at George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and Kevin Biggio have all hit those pretty well over the last two years. If you want to look at fastballs in that velocity range that also have a similar spin profile, and again, the spin rate, the actual number doesn't mean as much to us, but what a high spin rate with a fastball tells us is it has kind of that rising action to it rather than a sinking action. Um, the thing, with the, the funny thing with spin rate on a fastball is you want it to be either really high or really low. It's that middle tier that you don't want it to be in. Uh, and he kind of catches a little too much of that middle tier, but against similar, similarly profiled fastballs, Lourdes Gurriel, Bo Bichette, Santiago Espinal have hit them well and George Springer's hit them well again. So that's a couple Springer indicators, uh, against the guy like Alvin Rodriguez Against sliders that profile similar to Rodriguez's, you're looking at Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and especially Bo Bichette. So those are all names that have come up a couple times. If you're thinking, well, that's the Jays' four best hitters, and you keep saying that they hit well against guys like Alvin Rodriguez, well, yeah, Alvin Rodriguez isn't a isn't an elite pitcher, and that top four in the Blue Jays' order, when things are clicking, can really light a guy up. So it could be a good day for the offense. Could doesn't put runs on the board, though. We've seen the offense dry up at times this year. We've seen Vladimir Guerrero Jr. struggling a little bit of late to get the ball in the air. Maybe it's a get-right day for him. 
against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, as much as Elvin Rodriguez does have an ERA over 10, the Tigers have, as my three laid out for us earlier in, in the show, they've been pretty good limiting runs. It's their offense that is terrible. So if you're Jose Barrios and you're coming off one of the best starts of your career, 13 strikeouts, a ton of swing and miss stuff, saying after the fact, we talked to Keegan Matheson earlier, and he said he spoke to uh, Jose Barrios down in Kansas City after a bullpen day, and Barrios was feeling good, feeling himself. I'm back. This is the real Jose Barrios, and he knows because for five or six seasons now, he's been the most consistent pitcher in baseball. He's been out there every five days. He's been out there putting up an ERA between three and a half and four every season. Brios is a guy who knows when he's on and when he has his stuff. If he's feeling that good, that's a positive against the worst offense in baseball against right-handed pitching. Tigers players who will be active have faced Barrios 75 times. They have a 191 average. They have a 288 expected weighted on base average based on stack cast stuff. I know that expected weighted on base average is not something that a lot of people have a baseline for. So let's just say it's very, very bad. The Tigers have not hit Barrios well. The lone exceptions to that are Robbie Grossman and Harold Castro. Both of those guys start tonight. Robbie Grossman will lead off. Harold Castro hits sixth. They've had some success in a moderate sample against Barrios. Miguel Cabrera, who's hitting third, and Jonathan Scope, who's hitting second, they have not had a lot of luck with Jose Barrios, and they've spent a lot of time in the same division as him. So a larger sample there, they have not had uh, the best of luck. So you're looking for a good Barrios performance here for sure. Uh, This is, you know, first of all, you just want to be optimistic about the changes he made. On Saturday in, in that turnaround start, we spoke to Shai Davidi yesterday. Shai had a great piece up at sportsnet.ca about what went into Barrios's changes between starts. And a lot of it sounded repeatable. They tunneled his pitches a little better in terms of release point. They moved him on the mound a little bit and had Alejandro Kirk set up a little differently behind the plate. But there was nothing drastic. His dead arm went away and he was locating the fastball much better. And we know that that curveball plays so well the changeup too, and the sinker was going really well on Saturday, but you need the fastball locating well to set up those other pitches. So that's that's what you'll look for early on. Is the fastball popping? Is it, you know, when he had that really bad start two starts ago, his velocity was down about two miles an hour. So look for the early velocity readings. Look for the, the good location on the edges of the zone with the fastball, and that's a good indicator that he'll be in a position to get some swing and miss stuff Again, against the worst offensive baseball against right-handed pitching. Jose Barrios' strikeout total over-under has gone up over the course of the day. It was four and a half this morning when we set the game up on the fan morning show. It's now five and a half. That's a pretty high one, even coming off a 13-strikeout game, just given what Barrios has uh, done for the whole season. And the fact that even though the Tigers are bad, they're not, you know, they're not the Braves or the Diamondbacks in terms of striking out a quarter of the time. The Jays are favorites in this one. Big favorites. Minus 220. The over-under set at nine. Uh, We went through Elvin Rodriguez's scouting report, and we basically identified the top four in the Jays order as all guys who have had some success against pitchers like Elvin Rodriguez. If you missed it earlier, the lineup goes like this. George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at DH, Teoscar Hernandez, Alejandro Kirk catching and hitting fifth, 
Santiago Espinal, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Cabin Biggio playing first, hitting ninth, the lone lefty in the lineup. Also a guy who's hit Elvin Rodriguez like fastballs fairly well is Cabin Biggio. Since getting recalled from AAA, Biggio, it's a small sample, 10 games, nine start uh, nine starts. He is OPS almost 900 during that stretch. I'm not suggesting that's going to keep up, but I do think it shows you that with someone with Biggio's walk profile and ability to hit some doubles, if not the home run power he showed very early in his career, the bar's not that high for him to be a capable utility piece. And maybe that's not what you expected from Kevin Biggio a couple years back when there was double-digit home runs. It looked like he was maybe going to be spoken about as, as a part of the core moving forward. But there's a pretty straightforward path to Biggio being a really useful, I guess we'll say ninth man right now, 10th man on, on days Alejandro Kirk is getting the DH spot and someone else is catching. I don't think Santiago Espinal has given up that second base position anytime soon, but Espinal's positional versatility also gives you some options in terms of how does Biggio get his days? Boba or Matt Chapman get a day off or, or have a DH day. Espinal can move over and then Biggio's not playing at a, a higher defensive spectrum position. So you've got options there. And if Biggio can continue to, you don't even need the slugging, honestly, if he can, he's, he's had like a 370, 380 OBP. If you can hang around 350 OBP as a utility piece, you don't have to do a whole lot else. Uh, just don't make outs, make it hard for the opposing pitcher. When Elvin Rodriguez gets through the first eight, just don't give him a free out, make him work. Help George Springer see a few extra pitches, move the runners along. Uh, that's a situation that you'll be in if Elvin Rodriguez is getting hit like he has been hit. Again, Rodriguez, young righty with some decent secondary stuff, but not a great fastball, 93 miles an hour on kind of a rising fastball type, and he catches a lot of plate with it. The Yankees, I, I would think right now, a lot of Blue Jays are looking at the iPad and looking at what the Yankees did last time. Yes. Elvin Rodriguez can probably clean up some of the tipping stuff he was doing with runners on base. They still got 10 runs on 11 hits and more is going on there than just tipping. If you're giving up 10 runs, the Yankees, of course, a very, 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 very good offense, but the Jays think they're going to be a good offense too. And they have been for the last couple of weeks. They've been the best offense in baseball since May 24th. Good opportunity for that to continue this weekend. You've got Jose Brios against Elvin Rodriguez tonight. Kevin Gosman pitching to Gabriel Moreno tomorrow per Arash against Bo Brisky. Ross Stripling against Tarek Skubal on Sunday. This has been Jay's Talk Plus. Thank you to Keegan Matheson for coming on. My three, Anantha Ram, Araman, uh, to give us the Tigers side. Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus to give us the Moreno look. And of course... Thank you to Derek Brandeo and J.R. Manitad. Behind the glass, Blair and Barker have you for the weekend. Uh, show will be in on the weekend as well to give you the Jays Talk stuff. I'm off till Monday. Jays Talk Plus will be back then. We'll be breaking down the first of Gabriel Moreno's major league career. <laughs>